Well, it's great to see Nick and Denise with us, and uh, we're going to take for our reading today from Mark chapter 14. And uh, Nick's going to read to us from um, up to verse 31, and then Derek, please, will lead us in reading from verse 32 to the end of the chapter. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you and to be back uh, in this room. We have some very happy memories, Denise and I, of, uh, of being here, so uh, thank you. And uh, we bring the greetings of um, our church in Tarpley as well, their love and blessings uh, to you. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, uh, down to verse 30. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way, some sly way, to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to, to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city and the man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, uh, he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take it 
This is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I, ha- after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, man. arrest him, and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. 
Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Thank you, Nick and uh, Derek, for reading. I think it shows to us, doesn't it, the... uh, the fact how much Jesus loves us all through all our imperfections. <clears throat> I'm sure if he could be here, Philip would love to be here to encourage us, but uh, Sheila's brought along some of his thoughts and he's going to read those to us now, so thank you, Sheila. <clears throat> Philip sends his love to all of you because he is, as I said last week in our pastoral notes, that he feels surrounded by the love and prayers of you all. We hope that he's going to be coming home this week. The outline of our exhortation today is about the Passover. Because Philip, when he did this exhortation, had put a lot of thought into what happened at the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And he thought that 
we use some of the things from the Passover meal that are applicable to our day in our breaking of bread. In particular, the statement, do this in remembrance of me, and with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. The Gospel of Luke introduces the Passover meal of Jesus with his disciples like this. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave it unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We carry over from the Passover meal of Jesus many ideas and words to the present day and apply them to ourselves as being suitable and appropriate to use, such as Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant. Drink ye all of it. Do this in remembrance of me. The exhortation is around the words we don't regularly carry over from the Passover Jesus shared with his disciples to our day. They are, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. The words desire and desired in the same sentence emphasize the depth of desire Jesus is feeling. He really desires it. Not a take-it-or-leave-it feeling. Jesus really wanted it. How do we feel if we think of the words as addressed to us personally? With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, Sheila. See if it makes any difference to how you feel if it is your name. Let me say the words and you say, just to yourselves, your name at the end. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. The other words that I wish to include with, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover, are, do this in remembrance of me. You see, it may be helpful for us to be reminded of who it is who desires with desire to eat this Passover. Let us remember who Jesus was and what he did to see if it makes any difference to our view of the Passover. In his Gospel, John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Greek word referred to by John is logos, translated into English in our Bibles as word. Something said, including the thought, the reasoning, the mental faculty, the motive. In the beginning was the thought, the reasoning, the mental faculty, the motive, and that was with God, and that was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That was it. To start with, God had an idea, and he thought it through prior to doing anything else, before making anything or creating anything. All things were made by or through the thought, the reasoning, the mental faculty, the motive, and without that was not anything made that was made. When I was pregnant with our first child, we were absolutely delighted, and then we started looking at the house. Oh dear, we don't have a bathroom, and the loo is down the yard. Oh, and that bedroom could really do with decorating for a baby. Well, yes, we did put thought into what we wanted to do for the baby when it came. And John goes on. The word, the reasoning, the thought, the motivation of everything was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John is speaking of Jesus. Without Jesus, in God's mind was not anything made. Jesus was the reason for creation. All God's plans were centered on Jesus. The motivation for all things to do with God was Jesus. 4,000 years passed. Only God knew what the Messiah would be like. He wrote about him, prophesied about him, described him in various parts of his Old Testament writings, including his life, his death, but it was difficult to put the whole picture together until eventually the Lord Jesus was born. The reasoning behind all the things in God's planning took shape in the form of a baby boy called Jesus. At one specific point in time, Jesus was born. This unique child, the Son of God, the one who would eventually invite people to his Passover meal. No one more exalted would be found to say, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. An invitation from the only begotten Son of God, unique, one before him, no one since. The only man ever for 
for whom there was no reason for him to die. Sin is the reason for death, and Jesus was sinless. We are told nothing about the life of Jesus other than he went up to Jerusalem at the age of 12 years and is found in the temple discussing with the rabbis. That is, until his baptism at about 30 years of age, where there was a remarkable happening. Matthew explains, And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It may be worth asking the question, why would God say these words when Jesus is only at the start of his ministry? Before the temptations of Jesus, before any miracle, before any of his words. I would understand God's admiration for his son far more easily if they were said when Jesus was being crucified. At the end, when Jesus had triumphed over adversity without sin. Not now, when it was possible for, that Jesus could sin. It seems to me that for God to utter these words at this time, he had to be confident that Jesus would not sin, would fulfill all that the Messiah had to do, that Jesus would triumph and be the Lamb of God that should take away the sins of the world. If that is true, then I suggest that the words, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, is a statement of faith. The faith of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is sure in his expectations that what the Messiah was to do would be realised in Jesus. If the Lord Jesus Christ had failed after God had uttered these words, then God had nowhere to go. He was finished just as the Lord Jesus Christ would be finished. This tells us much about the relationship between God and Jesus, each dependent on the other, each relying totally on the other, each trusting the other. I would suggest the reason God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, immediately after the baptism of Jesus, was because Jesus had most likely said these words to him from Hebrews. Wherefore, saith he, says he, cometh into the world, and I would obviously not relate this to the birth of Jesus. And he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of God. Logically, he could not declare he had come to do the will of God unless he had come to understand 
what that will was. I am suggesting it was by Jesus looking behind the things of God and finding out the thinking behind the things God had brought into being, such as the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the worship, the manna in the wilderness, the lamb of the Passover, the altar, and the priesthood, and so on. He had asked the questions such as, what was God getting at? Where did the idea come from? What was God saying? What did he want? What was the motivation behind things God had introduced? What was the reasoning, the mental faculty behind all that God had done? I don't know how it happened, but between his birth and the start of his ministry, Jesus came to realise that they spoke of him, the Messiah, God's son. To fulfil them properly, he had to understand what they meant and how they would all fit together, and having done that, work out how to bring them into being in himself, his life. And here Jesus is having understood that the Passover would be fulfilled in him and he would be the Passover lamb. His blood would not be shed, the blood would not be shed a lamb. There, would, there were many things still to do before the end would come. So he says to his disciples, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. In asking us to remember him in our day, he asks us to include this Passover, since still he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, Sheila. The humanity of Jesus would find many incidents that he would find amusing, moving, encouraging, family times. It seems to me that Martha, Mary and Lazarus were three whom Jesus loved to spend time with. Martha and Mary, in particular, did not pretend to be someone else in Jesus' presence. This is illustrated in one occasion when things got a bit up for Martha. Luke tells us, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, then, to help me. It's the appeal of Martha for help from Jesus, something like, you know what she's like, Jesus. She won't listen to me, but she will take notice of you. It's not surprising to find Jesus with them in the week prior to his crucifixion. There also have been other times of encouragement for Jesus, when one or more of his disciples have shown great insights of revelation as to who Jesus was and what he was doing. For example, on the way to Caesarea Philippi one day, Jesus asks his disciples who is they think he is. But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Moments like these would have given Jesus a great lift of spirit. Perhaps also the faith of the centurion who told Jesus that he believed that Jesus did not have to see or visit his sick servant in order for Jesus to heal him of his sickness. 
This is the man Jesus, one who wants a personal relationship with us, one who wishes us to remember him at a simple human level, free from guilt, free and feeling the need to be someone different and feeling the need to be someone different during our remembrance. This is the man who says to us, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus has almost finished what he has to do. I glorified you on earth. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus has overcome every temptation to sin. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been as God himself to the world. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was with, with us in everything he did. Perhaps the sticking point was the issue of who Jesus was. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. It was Jesus' claim about his relationship with his father that caused them to kill him. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Whatever the, your relationship with Jesus is, however you view his life, Whatever aspect of who he was or how he lived you might have, it seems to me that the message is the same to you. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus sent Peter and John to prepare the room for the Passover. In doing so, he started the events of his last hours with his disciples prior to his crucifixion. There could not be a more poignant time. His disciples had been arguing about who is the greatest. They don't realise that Jesus had only hours to live. Jesus is aware. He knows that there are a number of scriptures written about him that must be faced. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? 
for he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Jesus has only a short time now to continue his mission, that's all. Very difficult hours, but provided he can hold it together, he will triumph. He is declaring to them that he is the Passover Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world with a new covenant in his body and blood. He is declaring to us again now that he is the Passover Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world with a new covenant in his body and blood. Something he had to do prior to his death, his crucifixion. He set up a simple ceremony with symbols of bread, signifying his flesh, his way of thinking, living, which was a perfect life. The wine, a symbol of his life, poured out literally through crucifixion. Scripture says the life is in the blood. He set up a means of remembering him. A Passover meal of symbols to share, but in essence, sharing Jesus. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent.